Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Lord, um, as we gather for this final service of this year, we want to say thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us in 2023. It's, uh, it's like most years. It's had its ups and downs. It's had its tough places. It's had its mountaintops and its valley lows. But through it all, you have been faithful. You have cared for us. You've never left us alone, and you've never left us on our own. So we thank you for that. With that in mind, we ask that 2024 would be our best year ever that we've had with you. Uh, Lord, now if we have great circumstances, that would be good too. But what we're asking for is as far as our spiritual life is concerned, may 2024 be a year of sweetness and let it be a year that's the best year that we've ever walked with you. We pray <clears throat> that you would help us to love you, to love your word, to love your people, to love the lost better than we've ever done so before. We ask in Jesus' name that you would give us a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. We know he's always been in us. It's his presence in our lives that enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. We know the scripture says your spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the sons of God. The Holy Spirit has not been absent, but we ask you to help us have a renewed and revitalized relationship with him so that we make it easy for him to lead us into all truth. We pray for our leaders, whether they be church leaders or city leaders or state or federal leaders. We pray for worldwide organizations like uh, uh, the United Nations and, and other groups. Um, Father, we're asking you to touch those people, whether they're good or bad, whether they are evil or righteous, whether the organization is nefarious or well-intentioned, that's beyond the scope of our prayer right now. But we are praying for them that they would hear Christ, that they would know the heart of God. You said for us to do this so that we would be able to live quiet, peaceable, and godly lives. So we ask you to help us uh, to have our leaders hear from you as never before. We heard years ago, and it has not died, it's increased. We heard years ago that uh, when Bobby Connor was here, he said the day is coming when we will see the zeal of youth to merge with the wisdom of the aged. And it's going to make a, a place where the Lord's presence is welcome like never before. So Lord, we pray for our youth we pray for our aged. We pray for everybody in the middle that's arguing which one they are. Father, we just pray that you would help us to learn from each other. Help us, Father, to be patient with each other. And Lord, uh, let our house yield up all of its treasure to you. The young, the old, the new, 
the old, whatever, whatever we have to give to the kingdom, um, as far as our role in it, Lord, let us be free givers. We ask in Jesus' name. We pray in the name of the Lord that we would have patience with one another. We pray that you would um, let kindness and love be the hallmark of our church. Lord, there's so many battles being waged and there's so many battles that ought to be waged. There's so many things that ought to be laid aside. But Father, at the end of the day, your scripture says, this is the way all men will know you are my disciples by the way that you love. So help us to love. Help us, Lord, to prepare our hearts to welcome you in 2024. And Jesus is Lord. You are over all. We declare it. We believe it. Help us to remember it every day of the coming year. And we thank you. Help us to grasp this message today as we conclude our series on this present time. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Somebody said earlier, I, I thought you were preaching about hell today. They held up the bulletin that just said, Happy New Year. And we thought, well, that might be a better message than Hell Sunday. Um, but we are going to talk about hell. It's a, what I call an inconvenient and uncomfortable truth. But we need to wrap our head around it. We've spent 36 Sundays, including today, talking about how to live in this present time. We talked about living in this present time with the understanding of what heaven will be like uh, a couple of weeks ago. And today we want to end the series by talking about what will hell be like. There's three things that I want you to know as we begin this message today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Number one, we want you to know that if you do not have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the forgiver of your sins, if you have not said, I am a sinner and Jesus died for me and I receive him as my Savior, I want you to give careful consideration to that during the uh, next little bit of this service because we're going to give you an opportunity to say a full surrender a full yes to Jesus Christ, uh, whether you're listening online or here in uh, one of the sanctuaries. Um, the second thing that I want you to understand today is that for those of us who are ready to go to heaven, we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. To those of us who have passed from death unto life and have eternal life, we want to thank the Lord for that, but we want to understand the reality of hell. We can't live well in this present time without understanding the reality of heaven and also understanding the reality of hell. The third thing that I want you to understand is that I believe one of the sub-themes, but yet is at the core of the message, I believe the call of the Lord is for his people to reclaim his word. To, to double down and to go all in on his word. And I'm not talking about, yes, I, he promised I'd be blessed in the basket in the store. Uh, sure, we embrace that blessing and we thank you for it, Lord. But 
we need to come to the place. I think the, I think the main ingredient, oh, there's a lot of things that have got to come together. But I think the main blockage in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we have not, as churches and sometimes as denominations, maybe most of the time as denominations, we have not decided what the Word of God is to us. Some churches think that it is a collection of suggestions. Some think that it is like K&W Cafeteria where you come and you say, I'll have a little of that, but none of that. You know, uh, there's a guy down the line here. He needs two of those, given that. Uh, but we, we do not have the right to become the judge. We are only ambassadors. And we need to understand that when Paul, I know I've said this before, but when Paul explained to the Romans the, the fallen state of man, Paul said it all began, this is in Romans 1, he said it all began when man decided that he would serve God, but he would serve a God that was more palatable. He would serve a God that didn't have issues, you know, uh, no anger, no justice, or, or, or judgment, I should say. And they said, we will not be comfortable with God until we have whittled away at eternal truth until we've got a God that we can manage. So what we do, we may not be this extreme, but sometimes we're like the man I told you about that attended my church twice a year. And I, I didn't fuss him at that. He didn't come on Easter and Sunday and hear a message about people that only came on Easter and Christmas, I mean. Uh, I was just always glad to see him there, even if it was only a couple of times a year. But I asked him about it. He said, to be honest with you, it's the only time I sit in church when I feel like I'm in control. Because Jesus is either a baby or he's a victim on a cross. And I feel in charge. He said, the rest of the time, I see him as a resurrected man who's making demands of my life that I'm not sure I want to submit to. And I thought, well, at least you're honest. At least you're honest. And, and I explained to him later that that's the problem with mankind. We, we don't mind a God existing as long as he doesn't make us uncomfortable. So Romans 1 says that we made God into an image that we could comprehend, that we could understand. And I think one of the things God is after is churches and Christians. Uh, you say, well, I just, I don't understand this, or I don't understand that. Loved ones, you don't need to understand. Uh, I mean, there's, God wants us to understand things, but there will always be things that are beyond your comprehension. The Trinity is the most difficult thing to conceive of. The closest thing we can do is to make some comparisons and we come to the conclusion that there's nothing for me to compare it to. God is altogether different. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't understand it, but I believe it. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing weak with that. In fact, Jesus gave this teaching. He said, it's not the one who sees that will believe. It's the one who believes that will see. And that is perhaps the most difficult uh, mind shift that has to take place in the heart of a child of God. Now, the Holy Spirit will do it. He'll help us. 
He shows us things that we could not see otherwise. That's the heart of the gospel. Remember, we can't even know we're lost unless the Holy Spirit shows us. We can't know we're saved unless the Holy Spirit shows us. It's His Spirit that bears witness with our spirit when we become the children of God. It's altogether otherworldly. Yet the, the church is racing to catch up with the world that has said we won't believe what we can't control. We won't believe what we can't understand. And churches are now doing the same thing because they want to be unoffensive. They don't want there to be an, an uh, uh, authoritarian law. They, they don't want there to be ultimate truth. Everybody right now, and even some churches are saying, this is about your truth. Your truth may not be my truth, but your truth is what you need to follow. No, there is only one truth. Is only one truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man comes to the Father except by me. Now, that is not popular. It's going to get you called a sexist and a racist and a uh, communist and uh, confederate or whatever. I don't know the, all the lists that are going around right now. But it is not popular to believe that there is an ultimate truth. But that ultimate truth is the Lord Jesus. And, and look in the days to come for churches to pay a high price for doubling down on the word of God. Churches that won't unhitch from part of it. Churches that won't minimize part of it. When a church makes that declaration, they fall into the realm of Psalm 119. Listen to a few verses I read just this morning in my uh, devotion. Psalm 119, verse 28. All your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. That was a mark of victory. All your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. Um, verse 160. Um, the entirety of your word is truth and every one of your righteous judgments endure forever. Psalm 119 verse 165. Great peace have they which love your law and nothing will be able to make them stumble. And, and the end, Psalm uh, 119 verse 176, uh, it says this, I'm, I'm changing the wording a little bit. He said, Lord, I am gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek me and find me and bring me home. Loved ones, I am asking God to do these three things today. I am asking him, and I went to lunch with Justin, I don't know, three weeks ago, and I sat there and cried. I cried because I felt like God, was, so much was hinging on this service today. So much was hinging concerning success in 24. It was going to be directly connected to what we do with our commitment to the word of God based on this service today, even though the topic is hell. I, I, I want us to know if we don't have Jesus, we can get Jesus today. I want us to know that if we know Jesus, we need to change our passion and our, and our purity in our view of the word of God. And I want you to know that everything hinges, everything rises, everything falls on what I say about the word of God, or what I believe I should say about the word of God.
It is God's revelation to man without error, without contradiction. You always say, oh, there's a lot of contradictions in the Word of God. When you read it with the mind of the flesh. Oh, there are a lot of uh, misinterpretations and false teachings. That's why we have, what, nearly 200 different denominations, each one claiming to have it all right. You know, I mean, yeah, there's, there's false teaching. But, loved ones, there's a difference between being wrong about something because the Holy Spirit said he will lead us into all truth. Sometimes we have to be led. There are some things that we believe for years only to be shown by the Holy Spirit that that's not the full truth, that's not the full story. That's different than a spirit of error where you refuse to believe the truth. You say, well, if God would just speak out loud, I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. You'd do like he did in the Bible when he spoke out loud. You'd say it thundered. Did you hear that thunder? Well, it was the voice of God. No, it was just thunder. We're going to talk about those things as soon as I quit talking about the other things. Let's get into a story told in Luke 16. Some scholars categorize this as a parable. Others say it's a literal story. Um, I lean toward uh, the idea that it's a literal story because the names, the usage of names in particular circumstances other parables uh, talk about people, but they're nameless and they're out there and they're in the, you see this, but now it gets very, very personal. But whether it's a parable or whether it is a literal story, it's still truth and we need to understand it. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers, let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Loved ones, this is uncomfortable, but it's truth. This is inconvenient, 
but it is vital for us to understand and know. I, I, I want you to understand a couple of things. I want you to understand that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. That doesn't mean hell is greater than heaven, but it was of such urgency that people understood there's an alternative to faith and it's not the thing that you think it is. Um, so let's, let's talk about maybe five things that we need to understand about hell um, and, and then we'll kind of zip through to the end. Number one, everything we know and teach about hell is based on scripture. Um, hell is, is, is not a state of mind. Hell is not just a word to describe something that seems intolerable to us. Hell is a place of no hope. Everything we go through here, it doesn't matter what you are facing today. It might make each of us weep to hear what you are facing today. But whatever you are facing today, there is hope. There is hope. And even if that hope is reduced to, well, I'll go to heaven, that is the greatest hope you can have. But hell is a place with no hope. I'm concerned about people that I've gone to memorial services and guy holds up a shot glass and say, well, old buddy, I know you're not in heaven, but I'll be in hell soon and we'll get a drink together at Satan's bar. No, that's a poor, poor, poor representation of hell. Everything we know and teach about hell is based on scripture. Everything we know and teach about hell is based on scripture. It's the same with heaven. There are two eternal destinies the scripture teaches, eternal living and eternal punishing. Number three, Jesus spoke of hell over 30 times, more than he spoke about heaven. And I wanna say this, I said this about heaven a few weeks ago, but the picture of hell is less than the reality. The Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's never even occurred to you and to me, what things God has prepared for those who love him. But he has re, uh, revealed some of these things to us through his scripture. But it's like I said, our, what we know about heaven is like looking through the peephole on your front door and saying, I see the whole world. No, and the same thing could be said of hell. Um, the picture of hell is less than the reality of hell. And this is something that we need to understand. It is a place of such horror that it should be avoided at all costs. I, I have prayed, and I mean this, Lord, I'd rather the worst thing imaginable happen to me than for me to go down a path of rebellion and end up away from you. I prayed that all my life, and, and I don't pray it every day. It's not a fearful thing. Lord, if I'm gonna mess up today, kill me so I won't go to hell, you know. It's not that kind of thing. But I pray for my loved ones, Lord, heaven above all. Heaven above all. It's better for us to have a life cut short than to spend an eternity in hell. And the mercy of God has made a way that we don't need to, uh, by default, go to hell. But we have to follow his grace. He says, avoid it at all costs. Matthew 18, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. He says, stumbling is a sermon in itself. 
But he said, there's so much evil that goes on in the world. There's so much hurt and pain that goes on in the world. Woe to the people that cause people to stumble. Such things, meaning offenses, must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. <coughs> it's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Jesus is not talking about uh, self-wounding. He, he's not talking about self-mutilation. Uh, you can read church history, and there was uh, a woman that's considered a saint today uh, uh, by the liturgical churches, and she was a woman of God, but she was truly beautiful. And so in order to not take pride in her beauty or not to tempt men, she took a cup of acid and threw it into her face and disfigured herself. And that was done in the name of this verse. Loved ones, I, that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus wasn't saying mutilate yourself and that'll help you go to heaven. No, what he was saying is a very simple truth. Hell is such an evil place that whatever it costs you, whatever you must give up in order to live for God, it is worth it. It's better to live a life of sacrifice than to live a life of privilege and go to hell. Speaking of Judas, he said, woe to the man. He, he said that this betrayal is part of the plan. It had to happen. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. <clears throat> Loved ones, think of, of, of living a life and with all of its joys, with all of its firsts, with all of its beauty. And Jesus saying for a person like this, it would be better that they had never been born. Okay, number five, the scriptural teaching about hell is a doctrine that is difficult for Christians to embrace. I want to tell you, if hell is not difficult for you to embrace, you don't understand hell or you don't love people. Um, there are some things we need to clear up today about hell. Number one, we must realize that hell was conceived by God. It's not something some medieval mind came up with. It's not something the church of the Middle Ages came up with to scare people into obedience. They used it for that. But that's, that's not where hell came from. It wasn't even something that evil. You say, well, it must have come from the devil. No, God created hell for the devil and his angels. It was not intended in the linear perspective. It was not intended for man. It was intended for the participants in that original rebellion, but mankind followed. And there's a principle in scripture that whoever you yield yourself to, they become your master. Now there are those, even Christians, that merely seek vengeance on others. You know, uh, well, you know, I hate what so-and-so has done to people. I just, I'll be glad when they go to hell. Well, they, they, they don't believe what we, but the day's coming. Honey, don't you worry. The day's coming. They'll be all in hell and we won't have to worry about them. What a sick mindset. 
You say, well, pastor, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? Well, I've had that mindset and I can tell you from experience, it's sick. It's sick. There's nothing redemptive. You throw yourself into the category of Jonah, who when God decided to show mercy, he got mad and said, I knew you were going to do this. This is just like you showing mercy to people that don't believe it. I went to a college football game and, and I sat there and listened and I'm not cussing. Don't take what I'm saying out of context. But at the end of uh, the third quarter, going to the fourth quarter, uh, the, the, the cry began, go to hell, old miss, go to hell, old miss, go to hell, old miss. And I looked at thousands of people that were cursing the most abominable, wretched thing you could wish on somebody. And I sat there and cried and cried and cried at that football game. I had to leave because I thought nobody in this room except a handful or this arena, except a handful of us understand anything remotely about hell. My worst enemy, I would not wish them to go to hell. My worst enemy, I, I want to slap them. I, I don't, but I don't want anybody to go to hell. There are those that just seek vengeance on others. There are those that teach annihilationism. They teach that, well, when you die, it's called the second death. You'll die and you will no longer be in existence. It will be ex as though you never existed. And that's one component of hell. You will be forgotten as though you never existed. Um, some, uh, and these are people that love God. They say, well, they go to hell and you suffer proportionately for your sin, but it ends. There's a time that the suffering ends. Um, and I'll tell you the truth. I want to believe annihilationism. I spent about nine years trying to craft a case for annihilationism because the thought of someone going to hell for eternity, loved ones, I don't like that. I don't think that's merciful. I don't think that's the way God ought to do it. You say, Pastor, I can't believe you said that. I'm telling you how wrong I am. There is a tendency we all have to think our way is better. Our way is more merciful. Our way is somehow more gracious. And the Bible doesn't just say God's got some thoughts higher than ours. He is altogether higher than we are. He's not just a mega man. He is altogether different. And I think that my way is better because it's more merciful because I don't understand the mercy of God. I don't understand the holiness of God. I don't understand the damning power of sin. And loved ones, after that long trek, I didn't lose faith. I didn't doubt God. I didn't doubt his word. I, I just realized that I was working through saying, there's got to be something else this means. I, and I tried fervently. And I'll tell you the truth. I hope I'm right. I hope annihilism is right. I hope someone is punished for their sin and then they cease to exist. But loved ones, I must tell you, I am not the judge. I am not the lawgiver. I am not even the jury. All I am is an ambassador. 
And I guarantee you an ambassador goes to a country and delivers messages, some of which they agree with, some they may not understand, some they may even disagree with, but they better not mess with the president's message. I've just shocked some of you. There are those that, and I think there's at least a path toward annihilationism. I mean, I think there's at least a path there. I don't think people that are annihilists are evil. But there are those that teach universalism or inclusion. And they, some of them are evil and some of them have just bent over backwards to make the Bible say what it has never said. There are churches that are building themselves as inclusionist churches, as uh, universalist churches. Um, Carlton Pearson just died not long ago, uh, and, and he was one of the most fabulous men of God I ever knew, but he ended up being branded a heretic. I don't know. I don't think, I, I don't want to put that label on him, but I tell you what, he moved to a place where everybody's going to get saved. Nobody's going to be lost. And he had a church of thousands. But I want to tell you, I don't think he was right. And I think that that's going to be dealt with at the judgment seat of Christ. And I will say this for Carlton Pearson and others. I think it is out of a love for the loss that we want to say God's too good. God's too good to damn anyone to hell. Let me say this. Our actions have damned us to hell. And God has gone above and beyond paying the greatest price for us to be set free. Loved ones, God can't do in our midst what he wants to do until we double down on his word. Now, we can have differences of opinion. We, we, can, we can see things differently. Some may baptize by immersion. Some may baptize by sprinkling. Those are not the kinds of things I'm talking about. But we better be careful when we start changing the fabric of God's plan because we're not comfortable with the implications. I want to tell you, I know what it's like to walk thinking I am being more merciful than God, but loved ones, I don't know the depth of his holiness. I don't know the depth of his mercy. I don't know the depth of his rightness. I know this, that when we get to heaven, whatever hell is, we will see his justice. We will see his mercy. We're like the man that uh, D.L. Moody told about that was a stagecoach driver back in the 1880s. Snow was coming early. The passengers were freezing um, uh, or, or nearly freezing and the cold was putting some of them uh, to sleep and the, the, the driver was afraid they were going to die before he could get them to the next way station. There was a particular, a young mother that he was really worried about. And he stopped twice because the passengers had gotten his attention. The mother was falling asleep and, and she was almost dropping her baby and she wouldn't let anybody else hold it. He stopped twice and said, ma'am, right now you've got to stay awake to keep your baby warm. You can't just lay this baby in the bottom of the, of the coach. You have to take responsibility for your baby or give the baby to somebody else to take care of. And she said, no, it's my baby. And they kept going and she kept falling asleep and the stagecoach driver stopped the coach. He stormed back to the door. He flung it open. He grabbed the baby out of that mother's arms. He grabbed her and threw her out of the stage. 
gave the baby to somebody else in the stage and started the coach up, leaving that mother behind. And being a good mother, she started running after the coach. My baby, my baby, my baby. And the story says he went between a mile and two miles and stopped and let her catch up. She's drenched with sweat. She's awake now. And she's warm now. And he opened the door and said, now, ma'am, get in and take care of your baby. She said later that I cursed that man. I thought he belonged in hell. I thought if uh, it's the last thing I do, I will live to see him hang. But when we got to the next way station, I realized he had not only saved me, he saved my baby. And he said, the man that I hated on this side of the past is now my hero on this side of the past. See, God works in ways we don't remotely understand. God works with a justice that we are not able to conceive of. I, I, don't, I don't understand this, but don't lose the awfulness of hell by embracing a teaching that the Bible does not teach. I, I hope I'm right. I, I, I know universalism is not right. I hope annihilationism is right because I see an end to the suffering. But even if I'm wrong, and, and we in the Assemblies of God, we teach an eternal hair, uh, hair, hell, not eternal hair, that's, that's for sure, but <laughs> eternal hell where the fire is not quenched or the worm doesn't die. We believe that hell is a place of eternal punishment, not because God is in a mood, not because God is, got his feelings hurt. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, the only way sin could be dealt with, the only way was through blood and fire, blood and fire, blood and fire. That's the only way it could be dealt with. You say, but yeah, we're in the New Testament now. It's, dealt, it's dealt with by grace and mercy. It's dealt with by grace and mercy because of blood and fire, blood and fire. Jesus was the full satisfaction for every sin that had ever been committed or ever would be committed, but he shed his blood and he bore on the cross the, 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 the flames as such of hell. You say, well, that's not fair. I was witnessing to somebody one time and they said, they said, you said Jesus hung on the cross and went to hell for us all. That's not fair. He had to suffer a few hours. But if, you, if what you're saying is true, I'll go to hell and suffer forever. That's not fair. And I said, my friend, it's about capacity. It's about capacity. Jesus was fully man and fully God. He had infinite capacity. We don't have infinite capacity. And when Jesus was on the cross... He suffered. Now, no, we can't understand it. It's tougher than long division. But when Jesus was on the cross, he paid the price, a separation from the Father, a fire of judgment for every sin that every man, woman, boy, and girl had ever committed, was committing then, or ever would commit. He bore it all on that afternoon outside of Jerusalem because his capacity was such. His capacity is totally different from ours. 
And so when it was over, he said, it is finished. And those of you that went through EE understand what that word is. It means paid in full, paid in full. The, the sacrifice for uh, the day of atonement only covered a year. The sacrifice for an offense only covered the offense. But Jesus was the sacrifice with unlimited capacity. And you can imagine a hell, um, an eternity in hell for every one of us. He took that all at the same time. It's no wonder he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's some people that teach Jesus wasn't forsaken. And I, I realize he was quoting a psalm, but I think there was a reality to it. He had the face of his father turned away from him for the first time in his existence. Let me try to explain it to you another way. Let's say that a mother of four died way too early, terrible death. She leaves behind a husband. She leaves behind a teenage daughter. She leaves behind an eight-year-old son and she leaves behind a two-year-old son. All of them have suffered an incalculable loss. But that two-year-old, it's not going to mean as much to that little boy as it does to his teenage sister. It's not going to mean as much to the teenage sister as it does to the husband that has loved her as his own flesh. See, they all grieve but they all have their capacity and they can only grieve so much. They can only grieve a certain way. The toddler is not going to grieve like the husband that's lost the love of his life. And so what is the difference? Is the grief any different? Is the, is the loss any different? No, but the capacity is different. And some theologians that say hell is eternal say hell is eternal because we do not ever have the capacity to pay the price of our sins. But Jesus had the capacity to die on the cross and pay for all of our sins. Loved ones, there's so much I'd like to talk uh, about that. But I also want to say this, don't minimize hell by reducing it to hell on earth. I used to work for that company. Boy, it's hell working there. I used to be married to that man. That was hell. I used to, you know, yeah, that's hell on earth. Loved ones, you and I don't know what hell on earth is. You and I don't understand. Now, I will say this. As we go to heaven, we can experience a little bit of heaven on earth. And as we go to hell, we might experience a little hell on earth. But hell on earth is only a smattering. It's just a tip on the tongue of what hell is really like. Just like the greatest blessings we have in this life are, are just only the briefest glimpse of what heaven will be like. Uh, don't think hell is a state of mind. Avoid hell at all costs. Now, <clears throat> before we tie this stuff together, I've told you, if you're not saved, I want you to know you don't have to go to hell. If you are saved, I want you to know that hell needs to become a reality to us again. If, if, if that's secondary to you today, we're here saying we need to double down on the word of God. But let me, let me say three things about hell that are from the scripture. Number one, hell is a real place. In John 14, when Jesus 
was speaking to his disciples, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. It's the same words used in Revelation 21-2 where there is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, hell is not a state of mind. Um, and as I said, hell is not earthly conditions because as I said, no matter what you and I may be facing today, no matter what we may be worried about Tuesday, when the holidays are over, there is hope. There's some kind of hope. It may not solve the problem, but it may mitigate the problem. We have some kind of hope, but hell is a place of no hope. In the literature of the Middle Ages, it was said over hell was written the sign, abandon all hope ye who enter here. One of my buddies, when I got married, I walked into my office to change into my tuxedo, and he had put this big archway sign over my office door, abandon all hope ye who enter here. I never did tell Ramona about that. But I laughed. I knew he was joking. And first of all, my marriage has not been held. It's been wonderful. And I love my wife. But even in our toughest times, even things from the outside or things that came up from the inside, we never, we never got to a point where we said there's no hope. There's always hope. We've got to be willing to do what we need to do or to not do what we need to not do, but there's always hope. Loved ones, you don't abandon hope when you enter marriage, but hell is a place where you abandon hope. So hell is a place. Number two, hell has a purpose. Uh, loved ones, God just doesn't get his jollies by hurting people. That's, right. That's not the nature of our God at all. But hell shows how terrible sin is and how much God hates it. This thing called sin is not just a matter of flaws and idiosyncrasies and, and weak spots. We all have plenty of those. But there is something at the heart of hell that speaks of high treason against the God of the universe. Now, not all, not all sin is equal. You know, I've, I know some people teach, well, this sin's as bad as this sin. You know, uh, uh, overparkings as bad as murder. The Bible doesn't teach that every sin is as bad as the other sin. But it does teach this. All sin has the same end. And all sin has the same result. And it's rebellion against God. Hell shows how terrible sin is and how much God hates it. Number three, I want you to know that hell is populated by real people. Let's look at this rich man going back to our scripture. Um, he prayed, but it was a not a demand from God. They will cry out for mercy. Father Abraham, help me. People that have never prayed will probably pray in hell, but it will be a cry for mercy. Uh, I, I think you also need to know that people in hell also have their senses. Uh, let him touch my tongue with water for I am tormented in this flame. Uh, people got all over Billy Graham years ago for saying that he didn't think the flames of hell were literal. And um, they just, they said he was an apostate and all of that. But what he was saying is it's not our bodies that are in hell. It is our spirits that are in hell. He said, I don't think it's a literal flame. I think it's a spiritual flame. He, he was saying the flame is real. Whether it's spiritual or literal, it's real. 
And loved ones, sometimes we can, uh, you know, strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. That's what's wrong with most of the church today. They, they want some strange, weird something that came to them in a dream after a long night at Pizza Hut. And they want to form a new denomination based on some aberrant, weird revelation they think they had. And we don't even have the basics down. He will have, or people in hell will have memories. He knew his family and he was told to remember. And I want to say the most frightening thing to me is they will understand the justness of their damnation. That's why there's no hope. He didn't try to argue his way out of hell. He didn't try to say, well, I gave to the synagogue every uh, year. And he, he didn't make any case for himself. He said, then at least warn my family to not come here. He, he, he said, okay, you've got me. I belong in this place. But please send Lazarus to talk to my brothers so they will not come to this place. Now, let, let's wrap this up with three Christian life lessons. Number one, this is a warning. It's a warning. Um, I, I know that so many churches, and I understand their heart, they don't want to talk about hell. They'll say things like you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, or you can just kill them all. But loved ones, it is a warning. It may surprise you to know that I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm right in this, that hell may be the first message of the New Testament. The first theme that we hear being preached, other than worship the coming Messiah by the angels and shepherds and stuff. This was the first message from John the Baptist. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The message of the gospel began with a, there's a hell, it's hot, and who has warned you about it? Number two, we have the role of an ambassador, not a judge. I'm repeating myself here, but I just want to bring clarity. I don't like the message of hell. I don't thrill. I, I, I know that hell will be a place of justice, but I don't go to bed at night saying, thank you, Lord, for hell. Everything will be set right. I do know that hell is a place where everything will be set right, but I can't wrap my head around it. I, I just can't wrap my head around it. Um, and I may be tempted at times to think my judgment is better than God's or that I am in some way more just or more caring or more merciful. But loved ones, the more I look at the scripture, the more I study hell, the, the chance of, of hell in any form ought to frighten us beyond measure. You say, well, well what, what, what if it's just temporary? That's not so bad. <laughs> Loved ones, think what you're saying. Jesus said it will be a place so bad it's worth doing whatever you have to do to avoid going there. And you say it's not so bad? I, had, I read somebody talking about the tribulation the other day. They said, we shouldn't be afraid of the tribulation. It's only seven years. Somebody doesn't understand time very well. You know, it's the old story. I, I don't think it's true, but Einstein supposedly explained relativity this way. He said, time is relative. 
He said, you sit by a pretty girl for an hour, it seems like a minute. You sit on a hot stove for a minute, it seems like an hour, you know. No, 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 no. There's no theological view. There's no theological view that makes hell acceptable, that makes hell doable. Um, my job, your job, is to deliver the message, not rewrite the law. And here's one that ties the first two points, you know, get right with God. He's the only way to keep you from hell. Uh, be compassionate for people and don't look at them as you'll get yours one day. Double down on the word of God because the third Christian life lesson is this. Mankind can be convinced of hell and be saved from it only by the work of God's Holy Spirit. See, we're not going to shame people into hell. We're, we're, we're not going to boycott, I mean out of hell. We're not going to boycott people away from hell. Now there may be a time for a boycott. I don't have issues with that. But what I'm saying is the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. And God has given us three years of showing that rage and anger doesn't change things. It only makes them worse. It only makes them worse. There are things that need to be set right, but they need to be set right, right. Now, <clears throat> Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen. If they do not believe them, they will not be convinced the one is raised from the dead. Loved ones, there will be more power unleashed. Now, now God can do unusual things. For years, God has been visiting the Muslim world in phenomenal numbers through dreams. And I think it's because they are a culture that's open to the supernatural, whereas the West is closed to the supernatural and open more to science or logic. So God can do whatever he wants to do. He can come in a dream. He can appear on the road. He can do anything. I have a friend that um, was, um, was Hindu, and he had only heard of Jesus as being the God of the Christians. He had never heard the gospel. And he was praying, and he said, God, if you are there, if you are real, show me. He was in his medical studies, and he was in this, what is truth? What do I believe? And he said, a man came to him, and um, told him, he said, I am Jesus, and I want you to go to a certain town, and I want you to go to a certain address, and there will be a man there that he and his wife can tell you all about me, and disappeared. My friend did what he was told to do. He knocked on the door he didn't know of an Assemblies of God missionary and his wife, he told them about the dream. They came in, led him to Jesus, and we went through Bible school together. I mean, God can do anything. He can do anything. But I want you to know, generally speaking, we need to double down on the Word because it's the Word that convicts. It's the Word that convinces. Don't be a cessationist. Don't think that God can't do supernatural things. He can. But this story tells us that by and large, we've been given the Word, and the Word is what brings people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. R.T. Kendall, in his sermon on health, said this, he said, the Bible is the only proof we have that hell exists. But if we will listen, it is the only proof we need. If we will listen, 
It is the only proof we need.